1: Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Methanex Corporation Q1 2021 earnings call. I would like to turn the conference call over to Ms. Kim Campbell. Please go ahead.
0: Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our first quarter 2021 results conference call. Our 2021 first quarter news release, management's discussion and analysis, and financial statements can be accessed from the reports tab of the investor relations page on our website at methanex.com. I would like to remind our listeners that our comments and answers to your questions today may contain forward-looking information. This information by its nature is subject to risks and uncertainties that may cause the stated outcome to differ materially from the actual outcome. Certain material factors or assumptions were applied in drawing the conclusions or making the forecasts or projections, which are included in the forward-looking information. Please refer to our first quarter 2021 MD&A and to our 2020 annual report for more information. I would also like to caution our listeners that any projections provided today regarding Methanex's future financial performance are effective as of today's date. It is our policy not to comment on or update this guidance between quarters. For clarification, any references to revenue, EBITDA, cash flow, or income made on today's remarks reflect our 63.1% economic interest in the Atlas facility and our 50% economic interest in the Egypt facility. In addition, we report our adjusted EBITDA and adjusted net income to exclude the mark-to-market impact on share-based compensation and the impact of certain items associated with specific identified events. We report these non-GAAP measures in this way to make them a better measure of underlying operating performance, and we encourage analysts covering the company to report their estimates in this manner. I would now like to turn the call over to Methanex's President and CEO, Mr. John Florin, for his comments and a question-and-answer period.
2: Good morning, everyone. We hope that you are continuing to stay safe and healthy. As we deliver our Q1 2021 results, it's hard to believe that we've operated through the pandemic for over 12 months. Our resilient business model and robust planning and execution have enabled us to navigate through this challenging period. We are incredibly proud of our team worldwide, who have shown tremendous commitment and agility over this year. Our teams have continually adjusted how we work to keep each other safe while maintaining our operations and delivering reliable methanol supply to our customers. This morning, I'm pleased to discuss our strong first quarter 2021 financial results, which highlight the value of our business model. We will also share what we see in the methanol markets today, review our operational results, and discuss our outlook entering the second quarter. Turning to our financial results, we posted higher methanol prices in the first quarter of 2021, increasing our average realized price to $363 per ton, up by $81 compared to the fourth quarter of 2020. Our adjusted EBITDA of $242 million increased by $106 million over the fourth quarter of 2020. These results demonstrate the leverage that our earnings have to higher methanol prices. We also recorded higher adjusted net income of $82 million, or $1.07 per share, in the first quarter, an increase of $70 million, or $0.92 per share, compared to the fourth quarter. Turning to the markets, methanol demand continues to recover, and at at the current trajectory, we anticipate the global methanol demand will return to pre pandemic levels later this year. Global methanol demand in the first quarter of 2021 increased by approximately 5% compared to the first quarter of 2020. The steady methanol demand recovery combined with ongoing industry supply challenges led to tight market conditions and higher methanol prices in the first quarter. We are pleased to see favorable industry conditions continue into the second quarter. We estimate the industry cost curve, which is set in China, remains at approximately $260 to $280 per tonne. Spot prices in China are above this range today. Early in the second quarter, methanol market conditions remained tight and global inventory levels remain low and industry supply challenges persist and methanol demand continues to recover. We recently posted our May North American price, which increased by $23 to $542 per ton, and our Asia-Pacific price, which remained at $430 per ton. We set our European contract price quarterly, and our second quarter posted price is 410 euros, or approximately $490 per ton. Now, turning to our operational results, our first quarter of 2021 production of 1.6 million tons was similar to our fourth quarter results. Higher production of our Atlas and Medicine Hat facilities offset lower production at New Zealand and Geismar facilities in the first quarter. In New Zealand, our production was lower in the first quarter of 2021 compared to the fourth quarter of 2020 due to lower gas deliveries. As we mentioned last quarter, we consolidated production at our two larger Montanui plants and idler White Valley plant indefinitely. We estimate production in New Zealand for 2021 of 1.5 million tons. The upstream gas sector will be completing several field development projects that are expected to improve gas availability over the coming years. In Geismar, our production in the first quarter was lower than the fourth quarter because we completed a planned turnaround at our Geismar II facility. Winter storm Uri in February did not significantly impact the site. Following the turnaround, our Geismar facilities have been running extremely well and we have achieved record production levels at this site. We completed the debottlenecking project work at Geismar 1 plant in 2020, and we expect the Geismar 2 debottlenecking project to be complete in mid-2021. As a result, our operating capacity for our Geismar facilities will increase to 2.2 million tons from 2 million tons, an increase of 10%. In Trinidad, our production in the first quarter was higher than the fourth quarter as planned turnaround activities impacted production in the fourth quarter. Based on current gas deliveries, we estimate production in Trinidad for 2021 to be 1.1 million tons, reflecting Methanex interest. In Chile, our production in the first quarter was higher than the fourth quarter as our Chile One plant ran nearly at full operating rates. Our Chile 4 plant remains idle due to gas supply constraints driven by upstream production declines in Argentina. We typically experience lower gas deliveries in the southern hemisphere winter months impacting our second and third quarters and it is uncertain how long these lower gas deliveries will persist. Our current gas supply is sufficient to run our Chile 1 plant and we estimate production for Chile for 2021 to be 800 to 900,000 tons. In Egypt, our production in the first quarter was similar to the fourth quarter as our plant ran at nearly full operating rates. In Medicine Hat, our production in the first quarter was higher as planned turnaround activities impacted production in the fourth quarter. Turning to our balance sheet, we have a strong liquidity position with over $850 million in cash, a $300 million undrawn revolving credit facility, with no debt maturities until the end of 2024. Our disciplined approach to capital allocation has not changed. <clears throat> Over the long term, we believe we're well-positioned to meet our financial commitments, execute on attractive growth opportunities that exceed our hurdle rate, and deliver on our commitment to return excess cash to shareholders through dividends and share repurchases. A key focus for us in 2021 is deciding on the next steps of our Guides for a 3 project a unique project with significant capital and operating cost advantages. We have a robust decision-making process for evaluating the project. Before deciding whether to restart construction, management and our board will carefully consider many factors, including the strength of the global economic recovery and the overall methanol industry outlook, our financial position and our ability to execute on the project. We expect to decide on the next steps for the project later this year. We are encouraged by the favorable industry conditions that we have seen so far in 2021 we continue to monitor industry operating rates and new capacity scheduled to start up later this year and the impact on the current global supply demand balance we are optimistic that the global economic recovery will accelerate as vaccines rolled out worldwide and as governments announce additional fiscal support measures for now we continue to Prioritized liquidity and financial flexibility to best position ourselves to deliver long-term shareholder value. Now turning to the outlook for the second quarter. We expect realized methanol prices in the second quarter of 2021 will be similar to the first quarter based on our posted prices so far. We forecast that our second quarter production will be similar to the first quarter. We anticipate similar adjusted EBITDA results in the second quarter compared to the first quarter. We continue to focus on operating our plants safely and reliably, delivering secure and reliable supply to our customers, and protecting our financial flexibility. We are well positioned to deliver long-term value to shareholders. We would now be happy to answer questions.
0: Operator, We're
1: ready to answer questions now. Thank you. Sorry, I was on mute. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star one on your device's keypad. Please limit your inquiry to one question plus a follow-up question. After that, if you have further questions, please rejoin the queue. You may cancel your question at any time by pressing star two, Please press star one at this time if you have a question. There'll be a brief pause while the participants register for questions. Thank you for your patience. Our first question, Jacob Bout, CIBC. Your line is open. Please go ahead.
3: Hi, good morning, John. Good
1: morning, Jacob. Uh, the first
3: question here, just about the, so some pretty decent free cash flow on the quarter. Uh, maybe just talk about priorities for, for capital allocation, um, share buyback, dividend.
2: Uh, investment in, in G3. Yeah, so nothing's really changed, uh, Jacob, in our in our strategy about capital allocation. We are, you know, um, prioritizing financial flexibility and liquidity at this point, um, as, as we come out of the pandemic and get clarity on demand, and, and certainly supply is, is much more understood. But really, you know, three reasons for cash, nothing's really changed. We'll take some cash to grow the company in line with how the market grows, as long as we can find projects that exceed uh, our hurdle or meet or exceed our hurdle rate, which uh, certainly Geismar 3 does. Um, and then we'll also take a balanced approach to uh, return additional excess cash to shareholders through a dividend and buyback. So nothing's really changed in our capital allocation strategy.
3: Would, would you put G3 ahead of um, increase in dividend?
2: Well, you know, again, we take a balanced approach. So we've looked at, uh, you know, over the last period, we've, I think, returned $2 billion through dividends and share repurchases and grown the company doubles its size uh, by investing similar amount of money. So obviously when we're doing a, a brownfield or greenfield project, depending on the price of methanol, most of the free cash would go to uh, constructing a, a project. Uh, But above $300 a ton realized, we can, you know, complete G3 and have uh, additional cash for distribution. So a lot will be determined by what the actual realized price for methanol will be.
4: Are you still looking for a partner at G3?
2: Our preference is still to have a partner for, for G3, and we're pursuing that.
4: I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thanks, Jacob.
1: Thank you. Our next question from Ben Isaacson, Scotia Bank. Your line is open. Please go ahead.
3: Thank you, and good morning, everyone. Um, John, first question is on the discount rate. Came in at roughly, I think it was eighteen eight. Uh, Methanex had guided for around seventeen for the year. Does that mean that um, we need to increase that discount rate for the year, or do you expect it to fall below seventeen uh, in the back half of the year to 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 get to that guidance?
2: Yeah, Ben, we haven't changed our guidance at at this point. And I think what's important is to look at the realized price for methanol. When we make pricing decisions around the world, we're trying to optimize the realized price uh, for all markets. And, you know, when I look at the quarter, um, there are some anomalies. Uh, We have one posted price, for example, for Asia Pacific. And, you know, based on freight differentials and sanctioned product only allowed to go to China, there was some additional pressure in China this quarter. Um, still a, a very nice to, uh, realized price in China, but when you look at it compared to Asia and one posted price, you know, it really did impact our, our discounts. But, you know, I'm really happy with how we uh, came out of the quarter. Our, our realized price at 363 is our best realized price since Q3 2018. Um, so I, I think, you know, to me, uh, there is a lot of focus on the discount, but when we make our pricing decisions globally, we're not focused on hitting a target of X percent on the discount. We're trying to maximize the overall realized price for the company.
3: Thank you. And then just a follow-up, um, maybe an indirect question on G3. Can you just talk about how important market share is uh, to Methanex when you look at produced tons, commission tons, purchase tons? Um, I know in the past you'd been roughly what 14-15% market share of the methanol market. That's obviously come down a bit with uh, with Titan, um, Chile 4 and Waitara Valley uh, idled right now. Can you talk about how important that market share is in terms of your ability to kind of influence um, where methanol tons are going and, and how that impacts you?
2: I think what's important, Ben, is leadership. And, and we've been the clear leader in this industry, not just on marketing, but you know, safety, responsible care, logistics, uh, proving out new technologies. I could go on forever, but we're the clear leader. Um, so leadership's really important. Uh, the industry structure is nice. We like the, the, the nature of the industry structure. We, so we think leadership's important. Market share is part of that, but we don't get hung up on a, on a particular market share target. Um, but leadership is, is is more important. You're you're right to point out we've had some issues um, in Trinidad, Chile, and New Zealand. But I can go back the last 15 years and Medicine Hat was closed. We didn't have any production in the United States, and we were suffering. And you know we had four plants in Chile and zero or maybe almost zero in New Zealand. So this is kind of part of our business. It seems like we always have issues somewhere. We have 11 plants running, and uh, you know we're always trying to optimize. Uh, leadership position as opposed to market share
3: that's great thanks so much john
1: thank you our next question nelson ing rbc capital markets your line is open please go ahead
5: great thanks and good morning good morning everyone uh first question relates to um g3 have you um I, i presume you're looking into it now but in terms of the labor market it's uh, pretty hot. Um, can you just comment about the uh, labor market in in uh, in the Gulf Coast and uh, what you see there? If there, if you're seeing any uh, cost pressures?
1: Yeah, I'll
2: I'll turn the question over to Mike Kurz. He's he's our CMVP corporate uh, development. He's obviously the one that's really in touch with that market down there. So, Mike. Yeah. So we've seen changes in activity over the last year. I'd say we saw a dip, obviously as COVID kicked in and you saw prices come off for labor materials and we see more activity today as people see a recovering economy
6: I'd say from our perspective you know I think it's about where it uh,
2: our expectation would be that G3 would be about where we had it before we went into
7: care and maintenance
2: yeah I would just add Nelson that you know we just completed a turnaround there on, on G2 so we used a lot of labor uh, to do that, and uh, certainly the, our experience was labor productivity and availability as well as cost was not any different. We completed that turnaround ahead of schedule and under budget, so I think that's a really good um, indicator of, of the labor in the in the market today. I think one of the challenges when we look to make the G3 decision, that may not be the case a year or 18 months from now, as, you know, things could get quite heated as, uh, Economic yeah. economic activity picks up, and we could, you know, 18 to 24 months from now be competing for labor, and not all labor is yeah. created equally. You know, we'll use different labor at different stages of the construction project. So I think what's important is to be ahead of the curve uh, when you're thinking about. And, and I think today, when I look at T3, uh, the engineering's complete, all the equipment is pr- pretty well purchased. Yeah. So it's it's really a what I call a Lego project now. It's taking all the pieces and putting them together. So, you know, the project has been significantly de-risked, and it's just around productivity and an hourly rate. So, you know, we'll think about all those things as we make uh, a a recommendation to our board about that uh, G3 project later later this year. Also, we, you know, we built two plants or transferred two plants from Chile to there in the last uh, five to seven years, and. We're very familiar with the labor in that area, the, the you know the construction labor, the, the firms, and we have the top-notch firms in the area that we're working with. And you know, we expect if we do restart the G three project to get there AT, which I think is really important. And uh, and and those are some of the things that we'll think about as we make a decision.
5: And if you were to restart construction, uh, would Would you be looking at a 2023 or 2024 completion date?
2: Yeah, it's 24 months is our current view. From the day we say we're going to go, about 24 months.
4: Okay, great. I'll leave it there. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question, Matthew Blair, Tudor Pickering Holt. Your line is open. Please go ahead.
4: Hey, good morning, John. Um, I had a question in regards to the guidance. I think you mentioned similar production quarter over quarter. I, I guess I thought it would have been a little higher with, with Guyasmar coming out of turnaround. So, w- what would be coming down here? Should we think about you know lower production from from Chile and I guess maybe anywhere else?
2: Yeah, I think I said in my remarks, Matthew, that you know we're, we're coming into the winter months in, in Chile, and you know we we always expect to get lower gas deliveries because as the more gas is diverted for heating in that part of the world in the wintertime. So we, we expect to run the, the Chile One plant through the winter, but probably get lower gas deliveries than we we did in Q1.
4: Got it. And then um, your, your recent contracts for May in Asia and North America um, indicate better, better price moves than what the spot market was showing um, and I think in the past you mentioned, you know, it's not a perfect link, that spot market can be, you know, pretty small and illiquid at times. But could you just talk about, you know, what you're seeing in, in, in your business that, that would support, you know, stronger uh, contract pricing relative to, to what we're seeing in the spot market?
2: Yeah, so we're seeing very tight markets, very low inventories, and demand improving. So those things usually contribute to a good pricing environment. I'd say in the Atlantic Basin, which is Europe and North America, you're right to point out very small, illiquid spot markets. So they're, they're they're somewhat indicative, but they don't really move. Um, markets, like, for example, most of the business is contracted. So you know, what's more important is the availability of product, getting it there to our customers on time, on specs. You know, as their businesses improve, they're 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 worried about their supply chains and the, their suppliers' ability to meet their needs. And I'd say this pandemic has really illustrated that global supply chains have really been impacted. And you know, you can look at a long list of things uh, in North America that aren't available today um, because of supply chain disruptions and just not enough material to go around, whether that's recreational vehicles, lumber, uh, you know, I could go through a long list of things that have been impacted. So I think availability of methanol, reliable supply is being prioritized over price today Um, Having said that, in China, there is a a real liquid spot market, and I mentioned earlier that uh, sanctioned product can only make its way to maybe China and India, so depending on how well the sanctioned product operates, we can see uh, instances where more product arrives and can only go to a couple of places. We don't sell in India, but we do sell a lot in China, which does impact you know, the supply-demand balancing can lead to some pressure on pricing in a short-term period. But, you know, overall, when we look at Asia, you know, besides China, which is probably fairly balanced, the rest of the markets are tight. Um, and as, if, as demand recovers, we're going to need some new supply, uh, whether it's existing supply to operate better or new supply coming on in the way of the Coke methanol plant to keep things balanced. So it's all about demand. And you know, I've seen the IMF forecast for six percent GDP growth uh, this year, and maybe five next year. And the U.S. reported six point three. So I think those are all really uh, positive numbers, and will lead to good good demand uh, for methanol. So to me, it's all about reliability and, and being able to service uh, the demands of our customers. Great, thank you.
4: Thank you.
1: The next question, Mike late head barclays your line is open please go ahead
4: great thanks good morning john good morning.
1: first for i wanted
6: to drill down first a bit on demand into the energy markets i think in the release you highlighted the strength in mto but just wondering what you're seeing in other energy applications obviously given the rise in oil prices and what seems like a rapidly growing desire in the world of late for
4: cleaner burning fuel applications so just curious what you're seeing there
6: yeah,
2: you're you're right to point out MTO has been, you know, quite strong. Uh, you know, we saw some growth uh, over Q1 2020, and it's, you know, it's the one bright spot through the pandemic. It operated really well, you know, in the 90% rates, and oil from prices uh, continue to uh, be quite strong. Um, so, um, you know, we would expect the, those MTO plans to continue to operate quite well. If I look year over year, on the what we call other energy there's been growth there as well. Um so you know I, I think there is more room to grow there, especially on things like MTBE. You know, people have not been driving as much as they normally do in the pandemic. I'd say China's kind of back to normal, uh, you know, pre-pandemic levels for driving, etc. And with the recent change in the E10 standard to E5, um, you know, there's a lot more room for MTBE in the fuel pool there, which should be good for demand. So you know, the traditional uh, applications which make up about 50% of methanol demand are driven by GDP and lots of good signs there right now. So uh, it's har- hard to predict the future, but, you know, certainly we're seeing uh, a lot of things lining up to see a favorable demand environment, especially as vaccines roll out. And as, uh, you know, where we've seen vaccines roll out in places like the United States and our Geismar area, you know, we've seen cases go go way down quite significantly, quite quickly. So You know, our anticipation is vaccines will continue to roll out, and we will see increased economic activity and probably a lot of pent-up demand that uh, should resurface. But, again, it's hard to predict the future, but uh, certainly in a better spot today than this time last year.
5: Great. That's helpful.
2: And maybe just for my follow-up question on the G3
6: decision— I apologize in advance if I'm overly parsing words here, but I think last quarter you said final decision by summer. Today, I think you said later this year. So
2: with some of the uncertainty in the world, is that being pushed out at all, or I'm just reading too much into it? No, I think you're reading too much into it. Um, You know, we have our our strategy session with the board each summer. I think I signaled last, last quarter that, you know, we'll plan to make a recommendation to our board at that time, and that's still the plan. Fair enough. Thank you. you know having said that Mike you know if we make a positive decision there'll be a bit of ramp up time right so uh, you know that's why we're saying later this year if there's a restart if if there's a further delay then obviously uh, there's a further delay so we're not in a position to make that decision today but we will make a recommendation by the summer thank you very much
1: thank you the next question Eric Petri City your line is open please go ahead
6: Hi, good morning, John. Good morning, Eric. So I think you estimated global methanol demand up 5% this quarter. Same period last year, it was down seven. You know, was Chinese New Year about the same, and can you give an estimate as to how URI impacted methanol derivative demand in the U.S.?
2: Yeah, so we're not, we're not back to pre-pandemic levels yet. I think I mentioned that in my, in my opening remarks. You know, Q1 is always a softer quarter. I mean, there's not a lot of variability in our business, but because of Chinese New Year and the huge impact of methanol demand in China, it's always a little bit below, let's say Q4 or Q2. So when we look at Q, Q1, sorry, versus Q4 last year, uh, in 2020, you know, demand was down about 2.5%, but year over year five. So we're still not back to pre-pandemic levels, but we're pretty close. And we anticipate, as I mentioned, that we'll get back there later this year. So that's our current view. Um, But having said that, you know, we've now had five quarters of lost demand. You know, we we focused demand growth uh, uh, as we entered 2020 at about 3 to 4%, which is around 3 to 3.5 million tons a year, and we've lost that. Uh, So does that come back quickly or slowly? Bit of a guess but you know certainly what we're seeing now is uh, signs and that uh, you know demand could pick up uh you know nicely and, and get back to the pre-pandemic levels uh sooner rather than later but we'll continue to watch it and uh certainly adjust accordingly mm-hmm. and i don't know if i heard you
6: say did you have a estimate for the uri impact in terms of demand destruction
2: in, in the us sorry yeah. Yeah. Down 6%. Okay.
6: Um, and then, as a follow-up question, a competitor in Trinidad, you know, announced short-term gas agreements to restart their methanol plants. Could you do the same and then work towards a longer-term agreement, or what's the strategy there?
2: Yeah. So, our, our strategy was that we, you know, we, our five-year contract ended um, at, at the end of 2019. And we had been negotiating obviously for some time before the expiry of our contract to get something with the NGC and the government that you know allowed us to stay profitable uh, throughout the cycle we weren't able to achieve that uh, so we agreed with them to go month by month uh, on and no, no take or pay and we you know had the villages shut down as, as we as we as we thought we, you know if we wanted to um, as we came into the negotiations, we we didn't make the progress that we had we had hoped, and with the pandemic starting up, it was Titan was one of the only plants that we had flexibility to turn off, as well as Chile Four, so we made the decision to, to turn it off. We continue to negotiate with the the NGC, but I think I've been pretty clear: we're not going to restart the plant on a month-by-month gas uh, situation. We have to have something more certain because we'd have to hire people and spend some tens of millions of dollars to restart the plant so I'm not sure what our competitor has as far as the month by month and you know obviously it makes sense for them to to start up but for us we're thinking more medium to longer term and we're still negotiating we're and we're hopeful we'll we'll get something to allow us to restart that plant but it's not our, our our current view that that'll happen in the short term and this is not just a methanol thing on the island I think the ammonia Uh, producers are experiencing the same phenomena so um, you know there is gas it's just a matter of negotiating something that makes sense uh over the methanol cycle to allow us to stay profitable and we haven't been able to achieve that yet
5: helpful color thanks john thanks
1: thank you the next question john roberts ubs your line is open please go ahead
6: Morning. This is Matt Skoronsky on for John. Uh, You mentioned low global inventories are kind of persistent in the market right now. What is your sense for when inventory levels can be replenished to normal levels? And then does this vary by region?
2: I'd say we're seeing low low methanol inventory levels globally, not only in tanks, but at customers as well. Uh, I I, I can't predict the future. I I wish I could, but, uh, you know, inventories will rebuild if there's more supply than demand. When that happens, I really don't know. Uh, But right now, it'll take some time if there's more supply than demand to to replenish global inventory. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question, Joel Jackson, BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Please go ahead.
6: Hi. Good morning, John. A couple of questions. I'll do one
1: one at a time. Um, maybe, John, can you reconcile some
6: of your comments on price that you gave? I'm, I'm a little confused. So you gave the guidance in the call earlier that uh, you expect Q2 methanol ASP to be similar to Q1. Yet, I mean, we already know what the postings are for two months into Q2. We know what Europe posted. You're trending 10 to $50 a ton higher than the front couple of months of Q1. Um, you said the discounts. Was a little bit inflated, I think. Not maybe you give me your own words in Q1, and then later in the call you talk about pricings up, inventory's down, dynamics good. So how how can pricing be similar in Q2 versus Q1? I
2: guess it's your definition of similar. So uh, you know we're you know we're anticipating similar pricing. It could be better. It's obviously not going to be worse. We think, but uh, at this point our, our view is similar.
6: How would you define similar?
2: <laughs> similar is uh, close to where we achieved uh, in, in the past.
6: Okay. Um, the second question I have is um, last quarter you gave some guidance that you would do about 6.6 million tons of their trivial production for the year. Uh, this year you didn't provide that in the release. You gave some other kind of plant-by-plant or country-by-country guidance. Is 6.6 still roughly the same number? Is it higher or Is it lower for this year?
2: Yeah, I don't have that number off the top of my head. I'd probably have to take that offline, Joel. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, obviously, for competitive reasons, uh, release uh, a, non- a number uh, that, that people can then backward into our turnarounds and what we might be doing. So let's, I'll take that offline with you. May I just
6: ask why it was okay to – why were you comfortable releasing it three months ago but not now?
2: Um, You know, I I think when we look at our turnaround schedule and and where our productions are region by region, we've got a lot more volatility today. Uh, You know, we weren't expecting what happened in in New Zealand. Um, Obviously, Chile is a bit of a, with, with no Argentinian gas, a bit of a wild card. So, you know, we're not that comfortable in being specific about that right now.
4: Okay. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Our next question, Hassan Ahmed, Alembic Global your line is open please go ahead
7: morning John, um, morning. John I wanted to just uh, revisit uh, uh, demand um, you know you made a couple of comments uh, Obviously, year over year uh, demand was up but sequentially down two and a half percent and I know there are obviously a bunch of moving parts you know Chinese New Year's and the like um, and obviously the negative impact of Yuri but you know, as I sort of take a look at uh, product mm-hmm. economics, I mean, you know, the olefins, polyolefin side was super strong in Q1. Uh, I would imagine MTO margins were super strong. Um, you know, acetyl margins uh, were very sort of strong as well. So just trying to reconcile where that sequential demand reduction came from, would you sort of just exclusively attribute that to, to Yuri? and ex-URI demand possibly would have been sequentially up, or were there other factors?
2: Are you, just so we're clear, are you talking about Q420 versus Q121? Correct. Yeah, so, you know, the demand that was lost was mainly in China. Okay. Um, when I look at Q420 versus Q121, uh, there was about 400,000 tons less demand in China, and that was all in the traditional methanol uh,
7: Derivatives. Understood. Okay. All right. And now moving on again. You know, Q1 a uh, bit of a quirky quarter because of you know, be it be it uh, sort of COVID, be it uh, Yuri and the like. Um, you know, just uh, just sort of trying to get a better sense of um, whether or not you saw any meaningful changes in trade flows. Um, you know, and uh, if I could sort of parlay the Iran side as well into this question as well, because obviously new administration in the U.S., um, I'd like to think, you know, sanctions won't be as rigid as they were over the last couple of years. So so are you seeing any meaningful trade flow changes? Um, and how are you thinking about uh, Iran going forward?
2: Yeah, I, I'd call it quirky as well on the trade flows. So... <laughs> we 're seeing product come in, in North America from areas that we are traditional let 's say, so that 's quirky to me. Uh, it tells me that you know there 's not enough material in in North America to satisfy demand today, and if demand grows i 'm not sure where it 's going to come from. Uh, you know Coke will start up at some point and probably needed is what I would say if demand continues to uh, increase uh, like, like we 're seeing um, with iran. Uh, you know, I, I think the, the relationships uh, are still strained. I, again, I can't predict the future. I'm a geopolitical expert, um, but, you know, is it going to be solved tomorrow? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, if it gets solved tomorrow, uh, it takes a while to readjust supply chains. I, I've mentioned already there's not a lot of spot uh, market in North America and Europe. So, let's say we're, everybody's happy tomorrow we're all friends again you know, it'll probably take a contracting season for Iranian product to start flowing again to Europe and Korea and places where it used to. So, you know, I I don't know how how it's going to resolve itself with the nuclear deal. Um, There's talking going on, but, you know, I'm not on the inside of those talks and how how onerous they are and what's on the table. So... uh, Again we'll watch what actually happens and then make, you know, some judgments about what what might happen over time if things normalize, but I think it's too early to make any definitive
7: uh, plans there Very helpful John. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Our next question is from Sherilyn Radburn TD Securities. Your line is open. Please go ahead.
0: Thanks very much and good
1: morning. Morning. Uh, John, I was hoping that we could revisit your view of the mechanical state of the industry supply, if I could express it that way after a year of COVID and just how that's influencing your view of pricing for the rest of the year.
2: Yeah, I can only talk about our operations. You know, I can't really talk about our competitors because, you know, I'd be speculating and and I don't like to do that. No, we've now conducted three turnarounds in the COVID environment, extremely difficult, you know, the, the p- provisions you have to put in place to keep everybody safe uh, are quite onerous. Uh, I'd say regular maintenance day to day on plants is, is very difficult as well. We have minimal uh, people on site during the COVID environment. So the maintenance that we normally do is probably a lot, le- or a lot less in the COVID environment um, than the non-COVID. I think, you know, when we look at our turnarounds, getting experts into the country was re- really challenging places like Trinidad and you know usually when we do a turnaround we have you know 50 people or 30 to 50 people of our own people coming from Egypt and Chile and New Zealand with their expertise to help us uh, do the best possible job on the turnaround because when you do a turnaround you're doing a lot of maintenance you're not just changing catalysts but you're fixing a lot of the things that you know you've you've accumulated since the last turnaround you're also doing a lot of inspection so, you know, keeping plants reliable is, is really based on uh, maintenance but also inspection, you know, finding problems before they they, 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 they uh, make you go down for unplanned reasons. So when you don't have all these experts coming in, whether they're your own or, or your vendors that have a lot of expertise, you know, you really don't have the same depth of uh, inspection uh, capability and expertise. So. All of this, I think, leads to probably uh, uh, potential of having uh, poor reliability uh, over time. And then you have countries like Iran, as we've talked about, have sanctions. So that whether they can get people in or out of the country or not, they can't get maybe the materials and the catalysts and uh, different things that they need to to do turnarounds. So. It's complicated. Uh, You know, we we don't talk about the detail here at these calls about a turnaround, but you have 1,800 people on site for 60 days doing a whole lot of work that's been planned for two to three years. So uh, it's really a complicated uh, issue. And uh, I'd say, you know, we are seeing uh, plants being less reliable. Um, And, you know, there's nothing I see out there that would change my view on that today. Uh, but again, it's really hard to predict the future. But uh, I think when we look at our own experience, it's been really, really a challenge to do regular maintenance and turnarounds.
1: Okay, that's helpful. Um, also wanted to get your perspective on the potential for methanol as a marine fuel and, and what you think investors should watch to judge the momentum there, which, you know, clearly seems to have picked up with interest from MERSC.
2: Yeah, so I know we get labeled as an old. Boring chemical company, single product chemical company, which I don't mind, but, uh, you know, talk about innovation and in r and D. I I remember being at the forefront of the uh, standard conversion on meth- to methanol way back when, and, you know, I remember being in front of investors and being, it's never going to happen, never going to work. What are you guys doing? Um, and then we decided with our own uh, ships to prove out the technology, the dual fuel capability and... A lot of naysayers at that time, and it's going to be LNG, it's going to be scrubbers. Methanol is never going to find its way into that space, and here we are. You know, we'll have 60% of our fleet running on methanol over the next one to two years, and companies like Maersk and others, you know, making the same commitment that all their new vessels will have this dual-fuel capability. So I, I think it's really exciting. I think it's a great example of our team being innovative, proving out technology, and, and not listening to the naysayers, and the thing works, and the thing is flexible. And you can use, you know, ultra low sulfur diesel or, or methanol, and uh, you know ships last 15 to 25 years, so they'll have this capability for the life of the ship. And the and the you know the big winner here is that there is a pathway to green methanol. There is a pathway to having 100% renewable methanol. I know that's really important for a lot of our. our our customers and for people looking to make choices on fuels. It's not just for today, but it's for the future. So, you know, I think it's really interesting that big companies are now jumping on board and uh, making significant commitments to to methanol as a fuel. I've always said, you know, it's not like boilers, it's not like fuel blending, that that you can have demand um, change overnight, but this is, you know, as ships get built, used so I've always said it's a mid-decade demand driver so you know by 2025 we think the demand for methanol for this application will will be good
1: and are there any milestones that we should be watching in the short term to gauge that
2: well I I think you where where are people spending their money where are they making their investments and uh, there's been a couple of very large shipping companies recently have made a commitment that all their new vessels will be dual fuel, And, you know, we've seen our competitors like ProMan, you know, building ships that have this dual-fuel capability. You know, each one of our ships that runs 100% on methanol um, is 10,000 to 12,000 tons per year of demand, and if 60% of our ships are running on it, that's, you know, uh, a demand of around 150 to 200,000 tons. So, you know, in the big scheme of things, not significant, but I think the growth potential is what I get excited about. And, you know, once you have this capability, it's there for for the history of the ship. So, uh, you know, pretty interesting uh, development and will be a driver of demand into the future.
1: Thanks, that's all from me. Thank you, our next question, Bernard Horn, Polaris Capital Management. Your line is open, please go ahead.
8: Hi, um, good morning. Uh, two questions. The first, on New Zealand, is there any new update on the causes and uh, resolution of the situation there? I'm kind of, it seems like it's a very strange one, and I have a follow-up on G3.
2: Yeah, Bernie, we don't have any, any more information than what we've already shared. We know that the suppliers that have run that field, the Pocahore field, are bringing in rigs to do some on, onshore drilling, but that will take some time they tell us they're optimistic, you know, they can get back to rates that they had before, but until it happens, uh, you know, we're guiding to where we are, but uh, there needs to be some drilling uh, to to correct what's happened with the fuel.
8: Okay, thanks. And on G3, um, when you you first commented on the trade-off between starting earlier or later, it seemed like um, there was some incentive to perhaps getting going earlier but in your last remarks it sounded like you were uh, it it wasn't so easy to get things going uh, right now so um, i I guess there's that um, reconciliation in your comments there but uh, my broader comment is Are you um, in the post-covid world do you see any fundamental changes in demand uh, and likewise on the supply side that would um, mean putting the g3 online Uh, might uh, might be better to do it a little bit later or earlier uh, in either respect.
2: Yeah, we have a good view on supply. So post the uh, coke methanol plant coming on, you know, there's not a lot in the next uh, three to four years. Um, So in, in the COVID environment, nothing's been moved along and nothing's been sanctioned or under construction. So not a lot of supply coming on in the next three to four years. I think the bigger question is demand. Um, so we'll have to come to a view on what demand looks like over the next one to two years. And then as, as G3 comes up, what's it going to look like, uh, you know, in 24? So that's part of the work streams that we're working on, Bernie, and uh, we don't have a view on that today. Uh, but that will be a key consideration whether we decide to restart uh, later this year or not.
8: And, and, and lastly, how do you anticipate G3 might um, interplay with your purchase methanol?
2: Yeah, so our, our goal is to have about 20% of what we sell being purchased and the other 80% being our equity molecules. Um, obviously this quarter that's changed a little bit because of losing production in New Zealand and in Chile um, and, and Titan as well, but uh, I think that's our goal. So, you know, if, if we had a view that we delayed G3, um, then probably if we didn't have any uh more product or additional production under New Zealand and Chile then we'll probably look at our our sales mix in the medium term but uh certainly early days, but our goal is to have twenty percent uh of our of our uh sales um on spot and commission product. okay
8: and 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 the g three wouldn't affect that twenty percent uh, going forward.
2: That's right. I mean, we'd lower, obviously, where we are today on our spot and, and uh, commission sales, uh, um, and we'd probably grow our position a little bit as well.
8: Okay, thanks. That's, that's all for me.
1: Thank you. Our next question from Jason Crosshaw, Polaris Capital Management. Your line is open. Please go ahead. Uh, hey, John. Um, quick, uh, quick question here, just on the supply side.
9: Um, if you think about You know, how much uh, capacity was idled by the industry, I guess, over the last kind of six or 12 months um, relative to, you know, how much could come back online fairly easily? If you kind of just give me a rough estimate of how many tons, that would be helpful.
2: I don't have that number off the top of my head, Jason. I'll have to get get that number to you. But, you know, the operating rate of the industry was, was lower in Q the last two quarters than traditional. Is that sustainable going forward? I, I really don't know. But will we'll, Kim get you the number specifically about lost production versus what we call average or normal?
9: Got it. OK, it's good because, I mean, ultimately the, the question will be, you know, if demand is, you know, we've talked about Greenfield, new capacity being fairly limited, you know, for the next couple of years. And if demand is strong, so I'm just interested to, to know how much basically, you know, Latent supply can come meet that demand, but yeah, if you can get back to me with that number, that'd be helpful. Thank you.
2: Yeah, yeah. What I would say, uh, Jason, is that at current pricing, um, we would expect anybody that can run would be running. So yeah. it's not like there's yeah. supply offline because the economics aren't favorable. So in you know in a price environment of 363, uh, every single plant in the world that can run should be running. So. The question for me is, what what are the issues, and and can they get them resolved and be more reliable? And that I, I don't know, but just on average, if I look, look at you know the overall operating rates, you know we were down a couple of percent, Q Q one twenty one versus Q four twenty, so a couple percent on on the, which in an eighty five million ton market, so what's that, one and a half million tons, something like that.
9: Yeah, and, and just uh, just I guess from my own um education, Uh, how long does it take to, if you idle a plant, right, uh, how long does it take to restart?
2: It depends on how you idle it. Um, If you idle it, you know, uh, with the intention of preserving it and restarting it at some time in the future, probably 60 to 90 days, I would guess, if everything was to go right. You know, it depends on hiring people and a lot lot of factors as well. All right. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Our next question, Chris Shaw, Maness Crespi. Your line is open. Please go ahead.
4: Yeah, hi. I have a quick one just on, on shipping. I, I assume you know, the market seems pretty tight there. and uh, I assume
6: your tankers are running full both ways. Is, that, is the benefit there ever meaningful enough to margins that you know, we see something significant there? Or is it just a little nice little additive thing that you, you're, you're doing well on the shipping side as well?
2: Yeah, the backhaul that we do, which is about thirty to forty percent of all the cargos we carry, are not methanol and they're backhaul. Um, all of that revenue goes into cost of goods, so it's you know it's netted out in our in our logistics costs. So it's for us meaningful. You know, millions of dollars to me is still still meaningful. Hundreds of millions are more meaningful, but it's not hundreds of millions. So you know, I think you can take uh, a number of 30 to 40 percent of what we carry you you know our tonnage on our ships and you know the rates for uh, liquid chemicals so you know you could back into a number pretty quickly but that you know that shows in our cost structure not not as a revenue line so you know quarter over quarter depending on the um, market rates for spot cargoes and coa cargoes it might change you know 10 or 20 percent but it's not going to drive uh, huge changes in our earnings. But it's a, it's a great business we have, and our team's done an excellent job in developing that and gotten really good at cleaning our ships. So we haven't had an off-spec cargo since we've been doing this. So our team deserves a lot of, a lot of credit there.
7: Great. Go ahead. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Our next question is from Roland Roche. Crown Extra Investments. Your line is open. Please go ahead.
5: John, good, uh, good evening and good morning to you. Um, sure. Probably not a surprise to you as, uh, to get that from one of the largest shareholders, but allow me to go back to the very first question around cash, cash flow, and return of capital. So uh, first question is, um, so you got in Q2 to 250 million EBITDA. Um, you uh, just printed, if I get it straight, 160 million operating cash flow. So that's a roughly 70% um, operating cash flow conversion. Uh, I think you printed uh, around 100 of free cash flow, so that's a 50%. Now, uh, I see that you had a working capital swing of 86 million. I assume that's due uh, to blow up of accounts receivable. So, you know, first question is, how do you guide if you guide to 250 EBITDA? You know, is it fair to say you go back to what you got anyhow around seventy to eighty percent free cash flow conversion or hundred fifty to two hundred million you know additional cash coming in this quarter, which is almost done and then the second question, if you allow me, we've been through that um, if you look at the g three stack, I do appreciate there is no decision, uh although you know what our recommendation is, so if I got the number straight, you announced a billion four. Total capex 400 has been spent. You just announced the 60 million is going to be done. So that leaves me with a 900 million capex left. Um, And if I get it straight, just to, to ask you straight, you got a 624 construction loan. So you could build G3 just with the existing construction loan and the revolver. And then you still sit on a 860 million cash that will go to hopefully within a month to billion two. So how does that leave us all together? Are you sitting on a lot of cash? You increased the interest expenses, uh, executive compensation is 18 million, and you're only paying out a 10 million dividend per annum. And and when do you think uh, that will be increased? Thank you.
2: Yeah, so our our capital allocation hasn't changed, as as I mentioned already. Our current view is to... Uh, uh, prefer liquidity um, at this time and and financial flexibility. Um, You know, we will look at what are opportunities to, you know, lower our our debt and our leverage. I I think that's one thing that we'd like like to do. Uh, We've seen three significant black swan events in 11, 12 years. Uh, So, you know, that's had a huge impact on our, our view of our debt levels. I think the cash on the balance sheet that, that we'll carry will be more than what we have had in the past, as, as, especially as we go into looking at, at projects, but we'll continue to have a balanced approach depending on you know prices above 300 methanol, as you pointed out, uh, we generate uh, free cash even with uh, investments in, in, a, in a project like uh, G3. So you know, we'll look at all of the above and uh, we're not gonna hoard cash Uh, but we'll keep a little bit more than traditionally we have on on the balance sheet, and we're we're favoring probably paying down debt as well at the same time. So I'd say stay tuned, and, uh, you know, if prices stay where they are today, we're going to have lots of money and lots of cash to build projects and distribute through dividends and and share repurchases. You know, certainly we're thinking about uh, how to return cash to shareholders. Uh, You know, we, we did... Make the decision to cut the dividend, which was a very really difficult decision for us. Never done that before since we instituted the dividend, and um, you know conditions were that we thought that was the right move at the time. Um, so there'll be a you know again a continued balanced approach between dividend and and share repurchases. So nothing's really changed, uh, but you know if we if we continue to have this pricing environment,
5: we'll have lots of lots of cash to do lots of things with. Right. You allow me to go back to the first question because you just answered the second one. So, the $86 million? Yeah. yeah. So, Roland, I'm speaking. I'm
2: the CFO. I don't think we've met, but um, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. We did have a working capital build, and that's something that's natural when you have an increase in, in methanol prices. So, our cost of inventory goes up a little bit because of our, our gas arrangements where we share the upside with the, with the methanol, with the gas supplier, and also our receivables, as you mentioned in your, in your remarks. And so as you go into a more steady environment, you wouldn't see that anymore. It would flatten out. And, of course, if, if methanol prices fall, you'd have the opposite effect. So there's a working capital release. So you were,
5: you were accurate in describing uh, the, the nature of the $86 million. Okay. I appreciate it. So, John, uh, sorry to go back to the second one one more time. That's literally the last one. So what needs to, what needs to be happening from now to a decision on the dividend?
2: Well, I think we need to see, uh, you know, demand recovery, which uh, should lead to a, a, a positive price environment. And then we'll have to look at our dividend and, and make sure that we think it's sustainable through black swan events like we just saw. So, you know, what level that is, we haven't decided yet, but I think there is room to grow the dividend from where it is today. Um, if, if we get back to a more normal pricing environment, which today, you know, if we, if we knew that the pricing today was going to be, similar for the next three or four years, that would be an easy decision to increase the dividend, but we're not quite there yet. We'd like to see how demand recovers. And uh, like I said in my earlier comments, things are looking positive, but, uh, you know, we'd like to see a little bit more recovery in demand and and see how, um, you know, vaccines roll out in more normal business conditions.
5: Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. The last question, Steve Hansen from Raymond James. Your line is open. Please go ahead.
6: Yeah, thanks, guys. I'll round it out here. Uh, John, just one comment you said earlier struck me as interesting is that, you know, you're selling a lot of product to China now. You know, I, I can remember a time where you sold very little product to China. You know, how do you think about that environment going forward, given that it is one of the bigger growth markets and you're, you're contemplating a new capacity coming in, of course, in the Gulf. So is there additional infrastructure that you would need to service those kinds of growth markets, uh, tankage, terminals, storage of some sort? I mean, how should we think about that, you know, just given sort of the regional
4: location there?
2: Yeah, so, we'll, you know, we'll need a few more ships, which, you know, obviously that we, we've looked at and have in the pipeline. The nice thing about, you know, when we buy ships or, or invest in ships, We have ships coming, you know, to their end of their time charter all the time, so we have a lot of flexibility in there, but we'll need a bit more ships and probably a bit more tankage as well. Um, You know, we're targeting all of G3 to go to to Asia at this point, Um, you know, and that's our our current uh, planning. Um, But, you know, getting tankage we think is, you know, is something we can achieve. We're not worried about having enough storage space. A lot, you know, quite a few of our deliveries as well are direct to customers. So, it, you know, it, our, our logistic team does a super job on on planning out, uh, you know, what we're going to need. And the nice thing, if you know, about the G3 is we still have 24 months in front of actually making product once we decide if we decide to restart the project. So I, I'm not really that worried, Steve, about logistics. Uh, you know, our team that is really ex- experts in this area, and, and we have lots of flexibility and lots of options to to meet the needs of what we will have from a productive capability you will have noted you know our, our our production because of Titan and Chile and New Zealand is lower as well so uh, we still have those those uh, commitments for logistics uh, today so uh, you know I, I think uh, in net net if you look at guys mark three versus what we've lost it's you know not that much more incremental production so Incremental logistics is not going to be a, a key uh, concern for us going forward.
6: Okay. Very good. That's helpful. I'll, I'll just close by saying, you know, methanol markets are really boring, so don't worry.
2: Thank you. Okay. Thanks, uh, everybody. Um, you know, methanol is an essential chemical building block used to produce many consumer and industrial items. It's used to make chemicals that form the basis of products used to construct and insulate our homes, automotive components to make cars lighter and improve fuel efficiency, and in the technology we rely on to stay connected. Given methanol's essential role in countless consumer and industrial applications, as important as a clean burning and an economic fuel, if we continue to believe that long-term outlook for methanol remains intact. We're encouraged by the favorable industry uh, dynamics that we've seen so far in 2021. We remain focused on operating our plants safely and reliably, delivering secure and reliable supply to our customers, ensuring we maintain financial flexibility to deliver long-term value to shareholders. Thank you for joining us today. We'll speak with you again in July, and thank you for your interest in our company.